Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text today for this Reformation Sunday is from the epistle reading, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, the third chapter. Hear these words again of St. Paul. By the works of the law, no man will be justified in his sight. For all have sinned, Paul writes, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. These, these words serve as our text. Dear friends in our Lord Jesus Christ, the game of golf, like the game of horseshoes, is a game of close and closer. A close approach shot and golf puts you in good position for your next shot. Maybe it's your putt into the cup. A good close shot in golf is admired. Some months ago, on a summer Sunday afternoon, one of my sons and I, we were watching the final round of the British Open golf tournament. With a television crowd of spectators, we too watched as one of the golfers, I don't remember which, one of the golfers drew his backswing and then gracefully struck the ball, and we watched as this approach shot sailed long, long through the air and and landed within just feet of the flag and the cup. And the gallery obviously erupted with cheers and applause. I was a bit more subdued in my living room, but I joined them in a few expressions of amazement because this was a shot to be admired. And while the shot hit beautifully within feet of the flagstick and the gallery roared and cheered and I with them, this son of mine, he groaned in obvious disappointment and he said, oh, he missed. (laughs) And my son was right, wasn't he? Think what you will of the shot, he missed. Now this image... This image, it's a helpful picture to have in mind when we hear St. Paul declare to us that all have sinned. And here's the reason why. The reason why this golf image is so helpful to us is because of the particular word Paul uses for sin. Hemartan, in the Greek, it means miss the mark. All have missed the mark, Paul writes. Think of the golfer. And think what you will again of his shot, he missed the mark. Or think of an archer who draws back the bowstring and lets go and misses the target altogether, leaving a target after life's many shots, leaving a target without a single mark. All have sinned. All have missed the mark. We've all gone astray. By nature, though, we like to feel good about what we think to be good shots in life even though they really do miss the mark. Now, well, perhaps we're not as obvious as the golfer who tips his hat or raises his hand. Often, I think, we're more like the modest golfer who simply and quietly puts his club back in his bag, but yet inside greatly admires that shot he just hit. We, too, naturally are inclined to appreciate what we consider to be life's good shots, and often the gallery of our fellow, uh, our fellow man, the spectators all along the course of our life, often they'll applaud and they'll cheer what they too admire and what they see. But how is it that we so often appreciate and evaluate and admire life's good shots, life's good works? 
How do we define good? How do we view the standard of, of what's ordinary and then what's exceptional? How? So often it's the same way that weekend warrior golfers so admire the good golf shots of the pros by comparing the good shots of those professionals with what I've done or what I think I'm capable of doing. And so it is too when it comes to what we imagine will be good and what will be impressive before God. So that we might stand right in his sight, we imagine that the standard for righteousness before God is the same as comparing golf shots. By comparing what I've done or what I'm capable of doing with what others have done or what they do. And so we take and we make Gary Player or Tiger Woods into Mother Teresa, who becomes to us then who we decide will be the standard of excellence. It's not what Paul says. And therefore, it's not what God the Holy Spirit has declared to be. All have sinned. All have missed the mark. All. Sure. To err is human by our sinful nature. To err is human. But yet we're without excuse because to err is still to err. Just because everyone does it doesn't make it right in God's sight. It just, as Scripture says elsewhere, confines all under sin. So that, as Scripture says again, there is no one righteous. No. No one who does good. No, not one, Scripture says. That's why Paul writes, and you heard him write today, every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable before God. We don't set the standard. God has. And you want to know how high he set the bar? Be perfect, Jesus said, as your Father in heaven is perfect. You want to know to what precision, what mark of precision God has set the standard? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not part of it, not some of it, not even most of it. Close doesn't count here. Close misses the mark. All your heart and mind and soul, and love your neighbor as much as and no less than you love yourself. There's your standard of excellence. There's your standard of rightness, of righteousness before God. So often, though, we, we don't see, we can't see how far short of the mark we fall. Often, as I said, it's, it's because we, we're inclined to compare our thoughts and our words and our deeds with the shots and and the words and deeds of others. But perhaps more often, we don't see how short we fall because we, we tend to measure ourselves not by the precision of our hitting the mark, but we measure our relative goodness by the size of the divot we leave in our wake. You know the divot, that piece of mangled turf and grass that's left behind after a golfer often after a golfer swings. That's how, often, how so often we, we measure our relative goodness by the size of the divot we leave in our life's wake or in the, in the life of another. And so we, we reason, I've been respectful more times than not to my father and mother. I haven't murdered, haven't killed, I haven't murdered, perhaps, because certainly we reason a murderer is going to have a harder time getting into heaven than I we say, rarely I tell a lie, but when I do, it's only little and a white lie, and it's a small divot, barely noticeable, little damage done. No one's going to notice. I'll just cover it over. 
Maybe I do covet a little, but I certainly don't go actually stealing what I covet. Small divots, we reason. But remember what Scripture says about even the smallest divot? It says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in a single point, he's guilty of it all. It's not unjust. It's even true in our own earthly legal system. A man's condemned for the single wrong he's done. The judge doesn't ask, well, I wonder how many good things you've done. He's judged and he's condemned for for even the single thing that he's done. Now we consider what we've done and left undone. And how can we help but conclude with the psalmist when he says, If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? All have missed the mark. And fall short. And mind you, Paul leaves that in the present tense because it's presently always the case. All have missed the mark and presently we fall short of the glory of God. And friend, the eternal consequences of that sentence upon you are real and they're grave. But thank God that's not where the sentence ends. Thanks be to God that that's not where Paul ends his sentence because that's not where God ends his care and his concern for you. Paul continues his sentence by describing the way that God continued his care. All have sinned. All have sinned, he says, and fall short of the glory of God, but he continues. But now are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you see. God supplied what we needed, and it wasn't a coach. Not a coach to improve our swing in life, not a caddy to advise us on the shots that we take to improve our overall game of life, not a coach, not a caddy, but he supplied for us a substitute to stand in our place, to stand in your place. We just sang it, for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Words of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, too, who had tried as hard as anyone can try to live up to the standard and expectation of God's excellence and yet failed like everyone will of himself. Martin Luther called this substitution Christ for you and Christ for me in our place. He called it by a simple but a dearly beautiful name. He called it simply the great exchange And great is the exchange. For the Son of God, and you've heard this many times, but don't cease to marvel at it today. The Son of God came to be for you in your place what you, what what I have been. Here's how Luther writes about it. He writes how, how Jesus was for us the mark misser. And the greatest of them all, Luther writes, all the prophets did foresee that Christ should become the greatest transgressor, the greatest mark misser. Misser of the mark, the greatest that ever was or ever could be in all the world for he being made a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world being our substitute is not now, Luther says, an innocent person and without sins but a sinner. See, he's the one 
He's the one to be for us what we've been. And then he continues with what I think is one of his most beautiful passages. He says, Our most merciful Father sent his only Son into the world, and at the cross laid upon him the sins of all men. The Father saying to his dearly beloved Son, My Son, be thou Peter, that denier. Be thou Paul that persecutor and blasphemer, be David, that adulterer. Be thou that sinner which did eat the fruit in paradise, be that thief which hanged upon the cross, my son, be thou briefly the person which hath committed the sins of all men. Did you hear your name in there? The one who has committed the sins of all men, and see therefore, my son, to it that thou dost pay with your life and your blood and satisfy for them all. Christ being for us what we've been, the sinner's substitute. That's exactly what Paul said. You heard him say it today. It's what Paul wrote 1,500 years before Luther ever, ever penned those, those words. It's exactly what Paul said. He said, all have sinned, but now are justified. That means declared by a judge, justified in his sight. By grace, as a gift, no work on your part, though it costs God dearly. Through the redemption, Paul says, that's in Christ Jesus whom God put forth as a propitiation. It's by His blood, not yours. Christ being for us what we have been the sinner's substitute. But friends, that's not all there is to this exchange. We also needed Him to be for us not only what we'd been, but also what we of ourselves never could be. In this exchange, we needed a substitute who had never missed the mark, but hit every mark with every thought, thought, and word spoken and, and deed done. We needed our substitute to meet the standard of excellence that all others have missed, one in whom God the Father is indeed well pleased, so that he can be a sacrifice well-pleasing on behalf of all. We needed one who, with every shot in every day and hour of life, was no less than perfect par for the course. Why? So that he could exchange with us what, what we've done for what he's done. He takes your woefully inadequate scorecard in life, and he gives you his own perfect scorecard to call your own. For you know well that the scripture says your own righteousnesses, they're as filthy rags, but, and who would deny it, but you who trust in Jesus Christ have been robed in Christ's own righteousness. Sins covered over. Scripture speaks of this exchange better than any can when it says beautifully this, God made him who knew no sin to be your sin for you so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. That's a great exchange. That's, that's your, your righteousness from God. Apart from the law, Paul speaks of that's the righteousness of God worn by each and every one of us who trusts in Christ Jesus 
That's why with God himself, that's why with God himself we too hold that one is justified by faith. Faith in the work of Jesus Christ in his hands, not in the work of our own. And friend, the eternal consequences of that sentence upon you, they're real and they're great. I want to share with you some words. They're words from a correspondence or a series of of correspondence, letters made public to many some time ago. They're words written by a soul that's found no lasting contentment in the work of her own hands. The author writes, For me the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see. I listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer but does not speak. She writes to a friend, I want you to pray for me. She writes further of, quote, a dryness, of a darkness inside, of a loneliness, a torture that had led her to doubt even the very existence of God himself. The smile, she would remark, quote, is a mask, a cloak that covers everything over. These words belong to Mother Teresa. Not even Mother Teresa can enjoy lasting contentment by the work of her own hands. Nor can you, nor can I. If you ever wonder, have I yet done enough to make me right with God? You're asking the wrong question. Ask instead, has enough been done? And then listen to Jesus' answer to you from the cross when he says, My friend, it is finished. For Sister Teresa, for me, for you, makes no difference. As Paul said, makes no difference who you are. There is a pair of hands that has taken all that we sinners are and then has given freely to us all that he is and has. Those hands are nail-pierced, and they belong to Jesus Christ. He's the one who made us right in God's sight. Blessed Reformation Sunday to you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.